0: It'll be a lot of fun. John 17. The context of this passage is Jesus right before his arrest, right before his betrayal, his death and his resurrection. He's with his disciples and he prays this. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew a certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them. By the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of this world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world for them. I sanctify myself that they That they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Have you ever had a moment where you felt like your prayers were hitting the ceiling? A moment where you were just yelling at the sky and you had no response? A moment when your prayers just seemed to fall short? Have you ever had a moment where you thought, man, how do I pray for this moment? What, what should I pray for in this moment? I don't, I don't even have the words to pray in this moment. My prayer is just falling short. I think that oftentimes as Christians, we have these moments when our prayer life falls short or seems to fall short. And I don't want to load guilt up on us this morning. I want to free us this morning uh, because uh, I've read the biography of Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa had many, many, many years that she called dry years. Years when she didn't hear the voice of God. Years when she felt like she was just reciting prayers. Years where she felt like her prayers were just falling short. And if it's good enough for Mother Teresa, it's good enough for you and me, right? Mm -hmm. And part of the reason that Mother Teresa can draw strength even in the midst of her prayers seeming to fall short is the same reason that we can draw strength in the moments when our prayers seem to fall short. See, when my prayers, when our prayers seem to fall short, Jesus' glorious prayer ascends higher right this perfect prayer this glorious prayer ascends higher theologians look at this prayer and say this is the prayer of all prayers in the bible famous theologian John Knox had this read to him every single day before he died these words from Jesus that are in some ways incredibly confusing And in other ways, incredibly empowering. See, Jesus' words don't fall short, even when ours do. And so we want to look at this glorious prayer. This perfect prayer and we want to draw strength from it because even if you're in a season right now where you feel like you can hear the voice of God in tangible ways, I can guarantee you there's going to be moments where your prayers will seem to fall short and a great place to go back to to draw strength in those moments is John chapter 17, Jesus' glorious prayer. And I want to talk about five things that his glorious Prayer reveals to us. Number one, his glorious prayer reveals his perfect timing. He begins. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Do you have people in your life who can't tell jokes? Anybody? Don't point at them. Don't point at them. Okay. uh, he, he, He can't tell the joke. Okay. Do you know why some people can't tell good jokes? Timing. Right? That was a joke right there. So, like, some people can't tell good jokes because of timing. If you s- spend any time listening to comedians, I love stand-up comedians. Uh, Brian Regan, that guy is hilarious. Um, there, there's just some great, great folks out there. Jim Gaffigan, if you haven't heard J- Jim Gaffigan, you've got to hear some Jim Gaffigan. He is hilarious. Um, one of the great things about fantastic comedians is that they have great timing. And one of the great things about people in life that are successful and seem to just rise above is often they have really good sense of timing in life. And here Jesus starts his perfect prayer, his glorious prayer, by saying the hour has come. See, Jesus has perfect timing even when we don't have perfect timing he does have perfect timing and can we be honest that there are moments in our prayer life where things seem to fall short because of the timing right so we pray hey God when will I get this job and we want to know God when is your timing right why is the timing on this not working out? When will I find the man or the woman I've been waiting for my whole life? His name is Jesus, actually, and he's right there. But, but you keep chasing after other ones. But you, I know what you mean, right? Okay? When will I find that person? It's a question of timing. Uh, should I make this decision in life right now, or should I pause and wait on this decision in life Often our lives are defined by timing. And Jesus has perfect timing. He has perfect timing. In fact, if you look back in the book of John, what's really funny is that there's this theme, that Jesus often comes to these moments where people say to him, hey, Jesus, do this or do that. And he says, my time has not come. If you look back in the gospel of John, the the record of John, uh, you would see that often... Jesus says, my time has not come. One of those moments, his mother, Mary, comes to him at a wedding banquet, right? And his mother, Mary, apparently knows that Jesus is one of those special kids, okay? Um, Right? Every mom thinks their kid is special. Mary's kid actually was special, okay? Right? So, (laughs) Mary is at this wedding, and they run out of wine. And so, G, so she goes over to Jesus and she says, Hey, Jesus, do that thing. Like you need, I know you can help this. You can fix this. I know you can do this. And Jesus says to her, Mom, my time has not yet come. But like a good boy, he still listens to his mama. Okay, And he still changes water into wine. he says, my time has not come. Later. The disciples and the people, they're noticing that he's gathering a following and that he's gaining power and popularity. And, and they're thinking, man, maybe he's going to overthrow the Romans maybe this whole thing where he talks about his kingdom coming when when is that going to happen and so they start to bug him they start to ask him hey jesus is now the moment is this when you're going to come into your kingdom like and if so can i sit at your right can i sit at your left like are we are we going to overthrow the when are we going to do this jesus is the time now and jesus continually says over and over and over again now's not the time now is not the time until John chapter 17 When Jesus looks into heaven and he says, now the hour has come. See, um, we often don't have good timing in our lives. And oftentimes we get frustrated with God in our prayers. Oftentimes it feels like our prayers are falling short because we have a timing in mind that isn't God's timing. And Jesus has perfect timing. And so sometimes in life we have to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait some more because Jesus has perfect timing. And sometimes he answers us very quickly because Jesus has perfect timing and and sometimes it's just somewhere in the middle because Jesus has perfect timing. He knows when the hour has come. First his prayer reveals his perfect timing. Second, his prayer reveals eternal life. He goes on to say this. He, I'm pr- he's praying for his disciples now, or, and he says this, that, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given me. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the second thing that this prayer reveals is eternal life, which seems like a pretty standard uh, thing for us to talk about in church, right? You may have expected that you come to church and your pastor would talk about eternal life, about heaven, about what is beyond this life. What's really interesting about this passage is that Jesus only really defines eternal life or eternity once. In his time on earth. And this is the moment when he defines it. And I think that he turns it on its head. Notice what he says. Now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We just pre-ordered a book by John Ortberg, pastor of Menlo Presbyterian Church in California. And the name of the book is Eternity is now in session. Eternity is now in session. I would encourage you, go on Amazon, go find it, go pre-order it. It looks like a fantastic book. On the back cover, here's what it asks. What if we stopped thinking about eternal life as something we can only experience after we die? Second question, what if we stopped thinking of Christians as people who profess beliefs about God and instead focused on becoming disciples who know God? The last question on the back of the book says this, What if salvation isn't mostly about getting you into heaven, but instead about heaven getting into you? Oh, come on now <laughs> That's good, right? You, you want to read that book, I do too See, Jesus, he, he's clear and he's confusing all at the same time, right? He says this Now this is eternal life That they know you, the only true God And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent And I, I don't want to pass this by Because I think a lot of times as Christians We believe in escapism and I think we live in a culture that loves escapism. We, we love working really hard and then escaping for the weekend from all the worries and problems of our real life. We, we wonder about how we can escape from this financial crisis. We wonder how we can escape from this health Problem. We wonder how we can escape this life itself and how we can quickly get to heaven. I, I, I hear Christians talking like this and, and I'm, I'm a little like the more I study Jesus and the more I come in contact with passages like this, I, I just kind of get a little itchy because this idea that we would want to escape this life. That we would want to run away from this life. That, that it's all Christianity is about is getting out of here and getting into heaven is not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that you're going to get a cloud and a harp because that would be boring anyway, right? I mean, you get tired of it and you're not good at the harp, right? Let's be honest, all right? See, Jesus leans into this idea that eternity is not something that is over there someday in another place, far removed. What he leans into is this idea that eternity is available right now. I've said this before in sermons. Eternity doesn't start tomorrow. Eternity doesn't start when you die. Eternity starts today. It starts today. When we sit here and we are with each other, we get a taste of eternity. We're living into eternity right now. Isn't that cool? Right? When we sing praises to God, we're leaning into eternity. Some of the pictures in the Bible about eternity, about the heavenly realm, is that there's a lot of singing going on. So some of you dudes in the room who are like, don't like singing them songs, you're going to have a hard time in eternity. I'm just telling you, okay? Better start listening to some more music, right? When we gather in each other's homes and we break bread with one another, when we pray for one another, when we don't compartmentalize life and we see all of life as sacred, we lean into eternity. And specifically, here is what Jesus says. Jesus is saying eternal life is knowing god it's knowing god this is eternal life that they know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent it's why i love this church before i even got here you guys had this statement we exist to passionately follow jesus together we don't exist to do religion some of you grew up in religion, and it just felt like shackles. Still does for some of you. Like you're not good enough. And if you could just be a little bit better, you could somehow earn God's love. And if you check this box and this box and this box, then you escape and get into heaven. How good do I have to be to get into heaven? You can't get there. That's, that's, that's the reality. You can't get there. But there is one that can. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. And eternity is all about knowing Jesus. We complicate this so much. I have these conversations with you and with myself about what should I do in these moments. And often one of the last thoughts is, what would Jesus actually want from this situation? Jesus, what do you want me to do right now? Not not, not the bracelet, what would Jesus do? Don't go there. Like, you can talk to Jesus. You understand? You don't need a bracelet to remind you. There's a full book right here, full of Jesus, right? There are four gospels, accounts about who Jesus was, what he said, uh, and he covered a plethora of things in life. And he wants to speak to you. Eternity is to know him. And eternity doesn't start when you die, eternity starts right now. Sorry, I got a little excited about that. All right. Okay. Breathe. Number three, he reveals his protective nature, his protective nature. Once again, leaning in this idea of escapism, right? Jesus says, um, they are not of this world as I am not of this world, but my prayer is not that you take them out of this world. Isn't that interesting? Did you, did you catch that when I was reading that? His prayer is not that that the Father would help us escape, right? It's not like the prayer is, Jesus, help them die quicker, or God, help them die quicker so they can get to heaven. That's not the prayer. The prayer is this. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. He goes on, while I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe by the name that you gave me. See, once again, it's not it's not escaping danger, right? It's not escapism. It's not let's get to heaven as soon as possible because I'm not of this world. I see these people with the bumper stickers, not of this world, and that's awesome, great, I get it, you're not of this world, but like you should still care about this world, right? Like, if you follow the, the theology all the way through the book of Revelation, the the picture is that God comes down to earth. Do you understand? Read read Revelation 21 later today, okay? God descends to earth to be with his people. The picture isn't that we all go somewhere else. The picture is that the line between heaven and heaven and earth gets shattered when all things are done. That there is somehow no more line between heaven and earth and that heaven somehow like collides with earth and that in eternity, in knowing God, in what eternity is in knowing God, th- th- that somehow uh, heaven and earth are one. And because of this, he wants us to be protected in our time here on this earth. He wants, to be, wants us to be shepherded here on this earth. Psalm 23, you know this psalm, right? The Lord is my, come on, shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Even if you haven't been to church very much, you may have heard that one in a song somewhere, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? He, he protects me. In that psalm, it says, your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear nothing. I will fear nothing because you are with me. Right? The picture there is of us as sheep and God as a shepherd, one who protects. But let, let me just say it to you this way He has to protect because there are wolves. Okay? There is an evil one who is out to destroy you, there is an evil one who is out to ruin your marriage, to ruin your parenting, to ruin your career. To ruin anything that would be connected to you glorifying God. Anything that would be connected to you glorifying God. That is what he is against. If you go back a couple chapters to John 10. It says the thief only comes to do... Simple things. Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes that, they may have, that we may have life and have it abundantly. See, the thief, the enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy. And if you feel like there are some things that are killing you, trying to destroy you, trying to steal from your life, that's right, because you have an enemy. What should actually be more dangerous if you don't feel like you have an enemy? You, you should feel a little bit more freaked out if you don't feel like you have an enemy. Because I can guarantee you this. If you have an enemy, you're doing something right. And he doesn't pray that it's a sunshiny day and that you're healthy, wealthy, and happy. Right? So, some churches would sell that to you. Yeah, Christian life is about being healthy, wealthy, and happy. Listen, man, that is not what the Christian life is about. Jesus, shortly after this, got nailed to a cross. And so his prayer for us is not that we would escape. His prayer is that his father would protect us. Sometimes protection looks like making, letting us make mistakes, doesn't it? Parents, you know this. Sometimes protecting your kid looks like, okay, go ahead and try that, and I'll catch you when you fall, right? Sometimes protection looks like letting you nearly drown before comes and lifts you up out of the water. It's not that he's trying to give you a safe life. It's that he wants to protect your life. Number four. It reveals a modeled sanctification. A modeled sanctification. Big word here. Uh, For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Apparently, Jesus went to seminary. Um, <laughs> no, uh, the words here simply means set apart as holy. What Jesus is leaning into is this idea that in what's coming, in the days to come, in him sacrificing himself upon a cross, he is setting himself aside as Holy. He is going to be lifted up, quite literally, on a cross as the one who is set aside to atone for the sins of the world, the holy and pure and spotless one. And that's the picture here that he says, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And here is what sanctification is all about. Right? If sanctified means holy, the process of sanctification is simply this. It is that there is a trajectory of your life for you to become more and more like Jesus. How cool is that? Right? It's not actually for you to be the best you. Surprise, surprise. Okay? That's not, that's not the goal of Christianity. The goal of Christianity is for you to become more and more and more like Jesus. Jesus. As John the Baptist said, I must become lesser so that he may become greater. And see, here's the cool thing that happens when we become uh, uh, sort of um, wrapped up in the process of sanctification. You will notice that 10 years from now, some things will look a little bit more like Jesus in your life than they did 10 years ago. You will go, ah, that's interesting. I used to give no money to charity and now I give a little money to charity, right? Or you say, I gave a little money to charity, now I give a lot of money to charity. Or you say, I give a lot of money to charity, and you go further and you say, everything God gave me financially is His anyway. Do you see that? Do you see that process? Uh, Maybe it's that you say, okay, I'm going to start my morning out in prayer at this job. And you do. And, and, and maybe a year from now you say, man, I'm going to have a couple Christians that work for me. And maybe I'm going to take that step and, and ask them if they want to do a Bible study, maybe on a Saturday morning. And you take that step. And then one day you wake up and realize it's not my it's not my business anyway. It's God's business. And you run everything through the filter of how can I use this business to bring glory and honor to to God. See, see, sanctification is this process of you becoming more and more like Jesus. And number five, it reveals a mysterious union. A mysterious unity or union. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. You. What we're leaning into here is the idea of the triune God, the God who is three in one. Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, a section called Encountering God says this, the primary theological fact about prayer is this, we address a triune God. And our prayers can be heard only through the distinct work of every person in the Godhead. In the New Testament, the triune nature of God becomes explicit. But few places are as compressed and direct as Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, where Jesus sends his disciples into the world to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to do next week when I baptize you. okay? Uh, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. It doesn't say in the names, but rather states that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all have a single name. And for us, the term name may be just a label or brand that can be discarded or changed at will, but in biblical times, it denotes the very nature and being of a person. This means the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all share in one divine nature, that they are one being. There is only one God, not three. Though Paul continually speaks of Christ's divinity, saying that all the fullness of the deity dwells in him, yet he also says there is no God but one. God has one nature, name, and being. So this mysterious unity, the fact that God is revealed in three persons, and yet, as one, God had the, the beauty that God in himself is relational. Have you thought about this? God didn't create us because he was lonely. He was in perfect relationship. Kind of inside himself, which is crazy, right? Like this, is, this is one of those things that's going to break your mind a little bit, right? You're like, oh, I can't get there. All right, that's fine, Right? word here, perichoresis, that means um, that God is mutually indwelling. That the Father and the Son and the Spirit are always glorifying each other, lifting each other up. That they're in this perfect unity. Some theologians would say this perfect dance of God. And what's so cool about this is that we get invited into this perfect dance. And Jesus says that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I'm not sure that the world sees the church as being very united right now. Um, and, and there's a lot of aspects to that, and I don't have the time to get into that. And there's a lot of politics and weird stuff that I'm not really interested in, to be honest with you. But when Jesus says he wants us to be unified, he wants us to be united, it's because he knows that we can be united in one thing. And that is him. That we're going to have arguments about certain things that we're not going to agree on certain things, but that we can be united within him. He's not asking you to put on, put away your diversity. In fact, he himself is this diverse and unified being in himself. And so he invites this diversity within unity. And notice, it's not that we're all the same. There is a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. And the world sometimes gets that really confused right now. And says, we all have to be the same. No, God loves that you're gloriously different. God loves that this church is filled with people who think differently, distinctly. God loves that we have little kids and big kids and everybody in between. Right? He loves the diversity of this congregation, and He wants us to be united in Him as He is in the Father. So let's review. Jesus' glorious prayer reveals His perfect timing. It reveals to us eternal life. It reveals to us His protective nature. It reveals to us a model sanctification, and lastly, a mysterious unity. And I want to end with this. I'll invite the worship team to come with us in one last song. The ongoing implication. Jesus is praying for you today. You've got to catch this. You've got to catch this. Okay. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Can I just lean into this? 2000 years ago, Jesus was praying for you. Isn't that crazy? Shouldn't that blow your mind? Like Jesus was praying for you. Book of Romans says that God, that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, continually interceding for us. That when we pray, we pray to the Father, empowered by the Spirit, and that God, him, Jesus Himself, mediates those prayers, receives those prayers. He says, Father, this is what they're actually trying to say, even though they're not saying it very well. Jesus is praying for you today. Do you understand this? Like this should, you should all of a sudden sit up a little bit, right? Like Jesus is praying for you today. Man, I, I, I am so lifted up by this congregation. You guys pray for me and my family in this excessive way. And it's amazing. And, and I feel so empowered. And there's days when I'm just bummed out and I remember that I'm being prayed for. And it literally lifts me up. And when we gather around every Sunday and we lift up prayer requests, it's not because that's just what we do. It's because we love each other and we want to empower each other and we want to pray for each other in real and tangible ways. And if that lifts you up just a little bit, can I just give you a little more? Jesus himself is praying for you today. And that should change your week. Heavenly Father, we thank you. That you are interceding for us, praying perfect prayers over us. Holy Spirit, thank you that you empower us to pray, that even as we groan like, like a little infant, you know, you know what our needs are before we even speak them. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for hearing these prayers. We thank you for helping us to become more like your son, Jesus. We glorify you, Father. We glorify you, Son. We glorify you, Spirit. And we call out to you. Make us people of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.